Hi, friends. Welcome to a special episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm so happy to be here with you today on a Wednesday. Yes, a Wednesday. Today on the show, I get to talk with my friends, Amber and Seth Haynes. Amber and Seth live in Fayetteville, Arkansas with their four boys. Just released a book together called The Deep Down Things, Practices for Growing Hope in Times of Despair. In 2019, as Amber resigned from her position as church curate and walked out the church doors for the last time, she entered her own season of pain and despair. That season taught her and Seth that the journey toward hope starts with first recognizing the deep down things. This is one of those books and conversations that's going to meet you right where you are, no matter what you're walking through. And it's an invitation to think truly and critically and kindly on your own story and your own faith, especially in the middle of a series where we are talking about the voices that are speaking into our lives and and our spiritual growth and our spiritual leaders and conversations we've had recently on the podcast. Today's is a really special opportunity to hear from Seth and Amber and their book, The Deep Down Things, is absolutely beautiful. Go ahead and order a copy of that and enjoy this conversation with my friends, Amber and Seth. Seth Haynes, welcome back to That Sounds Fun, but Amber Haynes, in a way I cannot believe, welcome to That Sounds Fun. Thank you. Excited to be here. How have you never been on? I don't know. We all we do all our talking on Voxer. That's true. It's true. Seth, welcome back, my friend. I am so glad to be here. You know, the first time was the feel-good episode of of your career uh, of twenty twenty yeah the feel good episode Z- of twenty twenty yeah zero tears shed um so i'm I'm glad to be <laughs> to be back for another feel good episode Seth, you cannot imagine how much people reach out to us and talk to us about your episode just a the power of a conversation at the beginning of a year about addiction is kind of unmatched, so thank you for for that and I'm really grateful, so I plan to for us to cry a little bit less this time if y'all want <laughs> great. It's it's truly whatever y'all want. Um, Okay, also, launching a book and moving into a new house, what are y'all doing? It's a lot. It's Uh a lot. We're we're building a home, and then we're going to move into it with four children and all our animals. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah, you know, they say, say, Annie, that the two biggest stressors in a marriage are if you do try, try to work together or if you try to build a home together. And we decided to collaborate on a book and write a book together and build a house literally at the same time. It's insane. Okay, Seth, will you talk to me a little bit about that? Will you back up and tell the story of what made y'all decide to write a book together? Oh, we definitely didn't like initially decide to write a book together. Now, I will say this. Um, we have always said, because we, you know, we both, we're both writers, we've always said we would never write a book together on marriage. And it kind of seems like... Like that's what the Christian market expects of married people, right? Is that you would write a book on marriage. And so we just always assumed we would never write a book together because we are vehemently opposed to writing a book together on marriage for a variety of reasons, including the fact that we are not experts on the topic despite being married for so long. So we just kind of always assumed that we wouldn't write a book together. Um, and then we we went through just like this really hard, it was a hard, dark season it was a very dark season for Amber. And the truth is like she was under contract to write a book. And as she was sort of working through her emotions and working through what she'd, you know, kind of gone through, it became pretty clear that, that the story really had sort of two facets. And so, yeah. So she just said, Hey, would you come along for the ride? And I said, that sounds fun. Hey, well done you. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Amber, when you were originally right, like, so you're contracted to write a book because you've written other books and you're contracted to write a book. And we're going to talk about what's in this book here in just a second. But what did you think you were going to write about before your life kind of turned over? Oh, maybe. I mean, it's always going to be beauty from ashes. Not that that's not an overused cliche situation, but we're into resurrection around here. And so I always thought that it would be, you know, around that, about around having those kind of eyes, but I didn't know that it would mean like an, a death, you know? And this yeah. is, um, you know, how we can all have like many deaths in our lives. I didn't know that I would have to like go through something to get to the other side of it and that that would be the content. Had you already started writing? 
had you outlined a book? Were you kind of like, here's what I think I'll write about, and here's a couple of chapters, and then your church story happens, and were you like, well, no, I can't write right now, or let me write something different right now? Will you talk about like what your writing was like at that season? You know, I really, when I got my book deal, it was, um, you know, just for a couple of books, I didn't really know what the book was going to be about. I had presented something. I don't remember what that was. I just knew that I wow. would. And, yeah. and, but then ministry to me moves from the stage and speaking around my first book to, I want this to be real life. I want, I want my ministry to be hands on with people in my real life. And so I really transitioned that way and assumed that my book was going to come out of my lived experience. I just didn't, I didn't know that it was going to, you know, (laughs) be a negative lived experience. So Amber, will you kind of give us the, give us the high level of what the deep down things is about? And then we'll, we'll kind of dissect some pieces of it that I think really matter deeply to so many of us. Okay. So when people ask me what the book is about, I always say despair and Seth always says hope. And so (laughs) (laughs) indicative of our personalities a little bit, maybe. Um, But it really and truly is my voice coming back to me after a long season of feeling like my voice was removed. Mm. And some of that was just in grief, just kind of a flat line of my ability to tell my story, but a lot of it came from um, telling my story and asking for help in a hard circumstance and not being heard. And so my it, me experiencing that my voice didn't matter, and I didn't understand how much my voice was my identity, like my ability to tell a story was how I understood myself. And I, and I think that's probably true of a lot of us. Um, but I'm a storyteller. And I kind of went blank for a while. And so the book is a coming to a little bit and actually living out this desire and this great need to tell my story. Um, that being said, it wasn't easy to do. Um, and so I think the the fact that the essays go back and forth between me and Seth um, really helped carry me forward because it it turned into a bit of a conversation, even though my my essays weren't like, Dear Seth, but they were a bit of a response to what he had written. So the structure of the book was really actually healing for me. And so my desire is that when someone reads the book, they're going to feel the same thing, carried carried along in a story, but also with some beauty and some humor, you know? Oh, you made me, I, you know this, you made me laugh like four times out loud when I was reading that book. Four I just, times? In fact, <laughs> y'all know this, that I, one of our yes no's for 2023 is I am not endorsing books. And I finished reading, because you have to read it and like really know it so you can put your name on it. Right. And I said, yes. I, well, y'all were different. I said yes to one other friend and I said no to a, a friends that asked. And y'all, I asked you if I could endorse you it did. when I finished reading it. I said, I don't know what the intention was, but may <laughs> I please write an endorsement for this book? So part of it thank is it you. made me laugh. So, thank well, you. thank you for letting me. <laughs> I don't even know what you've done with it, but I hope it has helped somewhere. Seth, why do you say this is a book about hope? Yeah, so the season was really dark for Amber and, and we can get into the ins and outs of that. But you know, we we came out of a really, really bad church experience, and then we went right into 2020. So we were sort of out of that church experience in the end, the tail end of uh, 2019. And then, you know, as you know, February, March, whatever it was of 2020, like the world just turned inside. And, and you know, the, the, the entire world was in despair. It wasn't just us, right? It wasn't just those people right. who'd come out of negative church experiences or the people who had been fired from their jobs or people who were on the downside of advantage. It was like everybody was in a season of despair. And I just remember in that season looking out and thinking like there has to be 
some reason to keep going forward. There has to be some reason to get up out of your bed and, you know, go sit at your kitchen table and do eight hours of work or, you know, go work in the garden or, you know, some, some reason to keep moving ahead when the entire world was sort of thrown into despair. Um, and so I think for me, it was this idea of like, I got to carry hope, you know, Amber's in a dark place. The world is in a dark place. Like if we're going to keep moving forward and staying alive and staying connected somehow to each other, even in isolation, if we're going to somehow stay connected to God, there's got to be this overarching sense of hope. Um, and we have to be like sort of on a telos towards that hope. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that's why for me, this book is about hope. I say in the intro that hope is not some ethereal thing out in the great beyond. It's something that is here now it's present and there are going to be seasons that we don't feel it and yet we get to participate with hope anyway and so that is our aim in the book is to walk through some practices where we felt like we could actually participate with in our real lives in our bodies with hope even when you don't feel it yeah and Again, and then in doing so, it, it brought about the feeling of hope. Right. It's a little bit of like step into the water and the water will part. <laughs> right. Yeah. One of the things I love about the book is that you, when you talk about God, you say divine love. And that like really matters to me because I think often... I forget that that is his leading characteristic is God is love. And so every time when you're walking through this really dark story as a family, not only the church story, but there's multiple facets of things going on in your lives that are really hard at the same time. But yet you keep, Seth, you you keep going back to God as divine love. How did you feel? Did you feel loved in that? What made you say divine love in a book about a really sad season versus just calling him God? Yeah. So this goes back to my second book, actually, the book of waking up. And it was in in that book, um, that was a book about my sobriety journey, some additional writings on my sobriety journey. And in that, that book, by that, the time I'd written that book, I had run across um, the writings of St. Francis de Sales and, and St. Francis Mm -hmm. de Sales constantly returned to this idea of God as the divine love. And in fact, in that book, I write of God as the divine love. And and I know this can make people a bit squeamish because you're not referring to God as him or he or God or whatever the, you know, the, the typical names oh, of really? God. Oh, really? Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've had oh. some pushback on this, Annie. This is, uh, this oh. is actually a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, well, great. Yeah. Tell, I mean, I'm glad to know the reasons people might not love that. Yeah, they, they don't. I just thought it was a beautiful reminder of who he is. Yep. Yeah, some, some people say that um, God has a name and um, that you're yeah. adding to the names of God, which to which I say in oh. the Old Testament, there are tons of names of God, uh, yes. God, the healer, God, the provider. And they're all, you know, all these L names, you know, you know this better than I do. And so um, we just look back to church history. And, and for me, looking back in church history and saying like the church has four centuries had this name of God, which is God is divine love. It grounds me and roots me in like, oh, that is actually the hope. The actual hope mm-hmm. is not necessarily that God is going to vindicate me. It's not necessarily that God is going to provide for me. Um, he may do those things. It's not necessarily that I'm going to see justice, you know, before I die. Um, right. But what it is, like, what the grounding hope for me is like, God is divine love. He is love. And his love is so much bigger than I can imagine. It's bigger than I deserve. Um, and it works things out in ways that I can't see or understand. But at the end of the day, I know that I am deeply and unapologetically and 100% loved. Yeah. Yeah. Amber, when, when your church life imploded, right? Exploded, imploded, which way did it go? Yeah, both. Both <laughs> ways. Both. Fair. How did you still feel like God was love? Or did you? I did. I did. It's all that remained. Wow. Which, I mean, you could say is a beautiful thing, but it really 
was kind of torturous. It's all that there was. And it's interesting. I mean, you could call that season my, my deconstruction season. It really wasn't that I was deconstructing anything. It all just fell apart. I don't think I'm alone in that. I see that everywhere. And I think a lot of people whose lives have fallen apart, people who have had real serious grief, have met God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in God's fullness as love in a really unexpected way. And I have heard people who have endured much greater loss than I have say, I wouldn't trade what I lost for the love that I have in in God. And so I wouldn't trade that. In fact, I kept saying, I need to thank, I need to thank the Anglicans. I need to thank the Anglicans because I wouldn't know, I wouldn't know the Holy Trinity like I do today were it not for a great, you know, structural fall apart. Yes. I think that's really interesting, Amber, because often when we hear about deconstruction on TikTok or on Instagram, it feels like I, because of a thing that happened to me, I have decided to tear my house down. And a thing you're giving me a picture in my mind for is like, sometimes you're standing in the house and a bulldozer just comes through and you go, well, what, what do I do now? Right. Does that feel closer to your experience? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Also, in the midst of that, even though I don't know that very much of what happened for us happened well, like everybody just nobody knew what they were doing in our experience. And but these were people who actually loved us. And they and and as we went through this through this thing, they did us dirty. But they still freaking wanted to do right and they kept showing up and they kept coming back and the love of God was still very alive in our relationships even though I could look at my girlfriend that you know I was like I would literally die for you and tell and tell her she's ripping my heart out and she would look at me and say I know and then we just would sit there together so that love was actually alive in some places but it was really painful so that, yeah. I mean, I think that helped. I think that helped. It wasn't just us. There were a lot of people hurting. Yeah. Seth, when you're watching this story happen to your wife, where it, it is, it is mainly her interaction with the church that caused pain for all of you. But you've also got these four boys, right? Like you're raising kids and you got to keep raising kids and you, you've got to have a desire that they would still know the God that is love. So I'm thinking about our friends who, I mean, this has happened in my church more times than I wish were true where parents are suffering and, and one of their big desires is that their kids will still have a connection with God, even if the pastor has left under moral failure or someone has mistreated the parents and the family or the church splits. I mean, I grew up in a church that split when I was in college and it tore relationships apart. How do you disciple kids in the midst of that? Yeah, this actually goes back to the divine love. Can we like return to that for a second? Um, yes. And I'm going to tell you a quick story about St. Francis de Sales. And and for any like church history scholars or Catholic scholars out there, you know, I may I may be taking creative liberties with this story. So, you know, for whatever it's worth. Okay, cool. <laughs> but um, we're in the middle of the Reformation. So sit yourself in the middle of the Reformation. And there was an entire region, entire village that had left the Catholic church. Why? because the Catholic church had done them dirty. End of story, full stop. Some reform needed to happen, right? And so the Reformation sweeps through this village. And St. Francis de Sales is a Jesuit, and he's sent out by the Jesuits to go into this region and to sort of be a missionary again for like the faith, for the Catholic church, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so he goes into this area, and from a spiritual formation perspective, he just teaches over and over the divine love, the divine love, the divine love. Like, here's how we have practices that bring us closer and in more alignment with the divine love. I, you know, I don't know if he went in there and said, yeah, you're right, you know, the church did you dirty. I don't know if he went in there and, and sort of critiqued, and, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what his, his construct was outside of continuing to go in and saying over and over again, this is how we connect with the God who is love. In mm-hmm. the middle of a circumstance in which it was very, very clear that an entire community or region was sort of disaffected with what the church had done. Um, right. And as the story goes, like, those communities returned. And this isn't to say, you know, returning to Catholicism is like the be all end all. I believe what they returned to was the divine love of God that has the ability to sort of like reorder life. And I use that as a as a template of saying like, you know, there's this huge article that's been making the the rounds this week about a pastor who's left his church and is deconstructing and is talking about all the ways that his congregation essentially is, has turned him into a commodity. And yeah. I read that article and it feels true. Like there's nothing about that article that feels false to me. Like I think the guy's probably legit and probably saying it like it is. But when we leave a place over and over again and ultimately end up saying like we're deconstructing even past God, like we're leaving God because this has happened to me or that has happened to me or, you know, I've been treated this way or I've been treated that way. And so I just give up. I'm done with God. What we end up doing is like removing a very important piece of ourselves, that part that needs Mm -hmm. connection with the divine. And, and wow. I've seen so many people do that to the detriment of their kids. And then their kids grow up in this space where it's like, the church sucks. We're angry at the church. We're never going back. We're not going to have a framework to connect with God. And, and that ends up bringing up another generation of people who are just as disaffected, just as angry, just as, you know, unable to connect with the divine love. And so for us, like, we're not. Like, I would never tell you, like, we're model parents for spiritual formation of our kids. Like, we don't typically sit down and like, well, today we're going to read this Bible verse about God's love, blah, 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 blah. But what we tried to model is, hey, listen, man, this is hard. Hey, listen, this church it was was difficult. It was abusive. It was wrong. It, you know, justice has not happened. And yet, despite the actions of the people, despite the actions of the institution, we know that we know that we know that there is a God who loves us supremely and he is for us. And at some point he will vindicate. At some point there will be justice. We don't know when or where that'll be. But we do know that God loves us. And so if you want to deconstruct, if you want to go you know, undo your, your, your church affiliation or whatever. Okay, that's fine. But don't deconstruct so far that you deconstruct past the bones of belief. Wow. I still think you can say that kind of stuff to your kids all day long, and it doesn't amount to faith. And so, I mean, we can say, hey, don't deconstruct. That, that's never helped anybody not deconstruct, <laughs> you know? I wish. Um, I wish that's I all I had wish. to say to myself I mean, and, and other people. Right. Yeah, That's right. Yeah. I took a class in seminary called Knowing Self, Knowing God. This may be another crossing the line topic. I don't know. No. But the idea of the class is that you really can't know yourself without knowing God. Mm. And you really can't know God without knowing yourself. And so how how both feeds in to each other. That the, The part about knowing yourself is the ability to say here is what really is. Here, here, wow. here is what is really true about what I've experienced emotionally, what has happened to me, what I've seen happen in the world, how the church responded. That is the true story of me. And then how did I see God show up in that or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's actually just serious honesty. And so when you make space for your kids to be honest about what they've endured or what they're yeah. questioning – it actually gets really scary (laughs) because when you make that invitation and they do it, then the invitation becomes for us that we have to be present to their pain 
and their pain in this world right now is a whole lot darker than I ever dreamed that it would be. Mm-hmm. It's dark. And so acknowledging that with them has been actually we've witnessed faith in our children in a way that has ministered to us. Yeah. So Seth, what ends up happening, I, I when people read this journey in the book, it's just brutal and beautiful. But what ends up happening is y'all end up converting to the Catholic church. Right. Yes. Is that, am I yes, saying that correctly? That's 100% that right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And our friends listening know I'm very, you know this, I'm very Catholic curious. I'm falling in love with the similarities between Catholicism yeah. and Protestantism. I mean, I just am, I am finding while there are some very big differences, which is what I want you to talk about. There are some yeah. very big differences. There are so many similarities based around Jesus. <laughs> Weird. Same God. Weird. Yeah. Hmm. Who would have thought? Will you talk about that journey? Like when an Anglican church really lets you and your family down in a really profound way, why was Catholicism the right next thing for you? Man, this is such a massive conversation. Um, this is probably like a two-hour conversation on its own. This is long form. So everybody We're going buckle long form up. Now. Buckle up. <laughs> um, so, People so are looking I, at their time stamp right now. Yeah, They're like, did right, it go right. two oh hours? Gosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't yeah. know, you guys. We're at minute that's, 28. We don't know. Yeah, that's why edit, <laughs> the editor is amazing here. Uh, I'll just yeah, tell you y'all know much. more than us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so um, I was raised in a Baptist church, and I'm very grateful for my Baptist roots, very, very grateful for my Baptist roots. But I was also raised in Catholic school, and there was a reason for that. And educationally, it was just like the right move for my sister and for me. And so what I say all the time, like growing up, I had this real sense that all of my scriptural formation was really in the Baptist church, but all of my spiritual formation, like those moments where you're like captivated by God were really in the Catholic church. And, you know, I can take that everywhere from just like, the smell of incense to, you know, attending a John Michael Talbot concert in high school. Yeah. You know, like there were just so many Why moments Why do we not all way. do incense? It's so beautiful. Know. It's be- it's like smoke machines, like since before oh, smoke machines were cool. You know what I'm saying? It changes the whole atmosphere when yeah, the room smells different. Mm-hmm. It yes. is. Yeah. I need to, yeah. I need to talk to Pastor Kevin about that. We're going to, we're yeah. going to implement Make that. It <laughs> Make it happen. Um, so, so that was kind of, that was kind of my early church experience. And so, and and then there's a there's actually a passage. I keep bringing it back to the book of waking up, but only because yeah. there's a passage in that book in which I yes. talk about this very visceral moment that I had. It was a communion experience in which um, there's no other way to say it other than it tasted like the bread became flesh and it tasted like the wine became blood. And I know that sounds weird. It is what it is. Let the reader understand. Um, so, so anyway, after that point, and, and at the time we were not Anglican, we were still at a Bible church. And at the time, Amber and I went on this long, long journey. And the journey was, man, I've got to make sense of that. Like, I don't understand what just happened, but I need to make sense of that. And so pretty quickly, we picked up a book by Alexander Schmiemann called For the Life of the World. It's about sacramentality, the sacraments proper, And as we were reading that, we just said, man, we need to find a place that really practices the sacraments, the sacraments proper. So these are like the church ordained gifts of God for the people of God that like sort of bestow a particular grace. And if you go to that kind of church, Anglican, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever, like you know this, right? And so, like, we really fought, and this is, you know, part of Amber's story, but really fought against Catholicism for a variety of reasons, most of which were, like, family side eyes, you know? You don't want to raise the, raise the ire yeah. of the, of the in-laws. And so that's kind of how we, we landed in the Anglican Church. But pretty quickly, I mean, it was within a few years, it was clear to me that, like, man, my trajectory was towards Catholicism, and even... Like the the priest who who sort of started the issues with our church, started the unraveling of our Anglican church. Like within a year or so of him being there, it was clear to me like this has the feel of something, but it is not the thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me to say like, what does it mean to participate in the sacraments? I mean, I looked at Amber once and I said, listen, you can do whatever you want. You can stay trying to work it out with this priest. You can stay trying to be on staff and trying to be ordained. But for me, I've got to make a transition. And so 
I, I enrolled in um, classes to join the Catholic Church, and we got all the way to the Easter Vigil. This was the year before we both left. We got all the way to the Easter Vigil, and the priest said to me, hey, man, you need to wait on your wife. Like, there are more important things than becoming Catholic. You need to wait on your wife, which I thought was insane. Right. Um, but for me, it was really like trusting God, one, that he was leading me where I was supposed to be. Right. Um, but but for me, the Catholic journey was really about like, where can I go that I can experience the actual goodness of God in the actual wow. land of the living through the tangible stuff of earth, the bread, the wine, the confession to a, another person, the kneeling in prayer on a kneeler to the point where your knees feel it, your back feels it. Like, yeah. what are the ways that I can get in my body and actually participate with God? And and to me, that was that was sort of the beginning of the Catholic journey. And then Amber's journey is sort of parallel but different. So here's a tough question, and either of you can take this. Someone says, there are things that Catholics believe that I'm not sure Catholics and Protestants are on the same page. Yeah. And so someone is saying to you, someone's listening and going like, hey, there's some like pretty big, like we don't, I don't pray to saints. Yeah. I don't pray to Mary. I mean, there's some pretty, and there's a lot of other things, not a lot. There are a few other things like that. How yeah. do you reconcile the differences, or do you have to? Do you not even have to reconcile the differences? Uh, listen, is it none of my, our business? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. It is only our business to the extent that, for instance, people say, this book isn't Christian because you come from a Catholic perspective, or I won't affiliate with this book because I am you know, fill-in-the-blank Protestant and you're Catholic, which we've had. Meaning the deep-down things, meaning your book. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh, wow. So, Are there Catholics so, yeah. who say that as well because you were Protestant? Not yet. Maybe. Maybe no, there will be, but not Protestant yet. it's Protestants saying we can't yes. because you're a Catholic now. Yeah, that's right. And we've experienced some of that. And and so so what I would say is typically I'm like, man, like if, if you don't want to, if, if you really feel it necessary to have the conversation about what makes us so different, like let's grab a cup of coffee and sit down and talk about it. But like for the most part, I feel like it's none of my business except for the fact that Amber and I have now written a book. And so now people are going to ask us and, and, (laughs) you know, (laughs) disaffiliate. Right. So, so I would say, you know, there, there are a couple of really great thinkers. The the first thing I would say is like, just go listen to Peter Crift, who is an amazing thinker and will have tons of, you know, he has done a ton of work in ecumenical spaces to say, Hey, you know, Protestants say this and Catholics say this, and it sounds very different. But when you get underneath it, it, it's actually very much the same. So when we talk about mm-hmm. things like salvation by works versus salvation by faith alone or salvation by, you know, justification by faith alone versus justification by works, we're actually saying something very, very similar. And we can go back to the faith without works conversation is dead that James was trying to have with the early church. And we can say, actually, no, what we're saying is, is very much similar. Like it's the grace of God alone that saves us. And if the grace of God alone saves us, here are the things we are going to do. Um, those are very similar conversations. There's some nuance there, but like, so one, like find good ecumenical thinkers like that and let them make the arguments because I'm just really tired is the truth. The second thing I would say though, is like church history didn't start in with the reformation, right? Like let that sink in for a minute. Right. Right. Church history started with Jesus and then it went from there through well over a thousand, 1500 years of iteration and there was plenty of thoughts about what was the Eucharist. There were plenty of thoughts about what does it mean to venerate saints? There were plenty of thoughts that were wholesale dismissed for no other reason than they were not Protestant. And so Mm. uh, that's the other thing I would say is, is, is go back to church history. Go back to John chapter 17 and Jesus's prayer for us. I think that's the challenge. Because the enemy has been at work at this for 2,000 years to divide. And the whole goal would be that we don't hear each other, that we wouldn't see it Mm -hmm. when actually we're saying the same thing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times things are boiled down to like, well, I couldn't do that because I don't, you know, I would never pray to Mary. Yeah. Like there's a whole lot to, uh, there's a whole lot to look into there. That's actually really, really beautiful. Right. And even if yeah. at the end of the day you don't agree with it, it's actually really, actually just be careful before you start digging because you might meet Jesus there. Hey. And so get a member. <laughs> you're right. You're I, right. I mean, and it's the same thing. Like I'm, I'm never, I'm never going to put down what was put into me as a kid growing up in the church of Christ. I'm never going to put that service down. In fact, I'm like, Holly, this is, that's so Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> so right. I just think we have to fight for unity. And sometimes we have to be like, you know, I don't get that. I still in the Catholic church hear people say stuff and be like, well, that's weird. That's weird. I don't know. I don't know what I think about yeah. that, you know, yeah. but I give the benefit of the doubt. I don't know that that is, um, that it's worth the fight still. Yeah. I'm with you. I have found Jesus to be continue to get more interesting the more I learn about Catholicism and other branches of Protestantism that I do not know well. Right. And so the the option is to assume everyone that didn't grow up Methodist and then become non-denominational is doing it wrong or the option is to assume there's something to learn because hey, listen y'all, we if we weren't recording, we could have lots of conversations about other oh, yeah. branches of Protestantism that are doing things that are as ungodly as anything, you know? So, right. so right. it ain't just, they ain't just one line cutting down the middle, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm just real moved by y'all's move into, into a place where Jesus is that brought you health and healing. And so I just, it, it mattered a lot to me as... I've lived this with y'all to some degree and read the book that our friends listening hear the generous offer of Jesus in a lot of different ways when you're hurt where you are. Yes. Absolutely. So sometimes obedience is leaving and sometimes obedience is staying. There's not one right answer to that. I think that's true. And I think the, for me, it's not just a fear. This is a great fear of mine. I think we've actually talked about this before. Um, it's not just a fear. It's actually a motive motivator. And that is if I'm not constantly asking myself, like, what is the source of this thought? What is the source of this thought? What is the source of this thought? If I'm not constantly open to refining my position when new information comes becomes available, then what ends up happening is I become stagnant and I become stagnant personally and I become stagnant in my spiritual life. Um, and so I think for me, like, and I think Amber too, I I think I could say this, like continuing to explore and to ask questions and to look at church history, you know, at some point we got to a place where we looked up and said, this, this really is where Jesus is and Mm -hmm. we can be a unifying voice for what we believe without, without ever saying like, yeah, but you have to come do this too. Like that's, it. that's, that's, exactly that's never, right. yeah, it's never been like, a, that's never been like a super, uh, winning proposition. Hey, if you want to be a real Christian, you have to come over here and be like this, like that works for some people, but most of us are kind of like, I don't know about that. Um, but what I can tell you about my Catholic journey is that I've never felt more connected with Christ than where I am. I've also never felt more spiritually attacked than where I am. And you know what? I think wow. there's something to that. Wow. Yeah. And Seth, one of the gifts you've been to our team is as we were deciding about this month's Let's Read the Gospels and wanting to read the NRSV Catholic edition. Well, we wanted to read what our Catholic friends were reading. We got you on speakerphone in front of God <laughs> and everybody on our team. Yep. <laughs> You're one of the Catholics that I called to say, Hey, is the Bible the same? Yeah. Is the Bible the same? And yeah. what we learned about the NRSV is the NRSV and the NRSV Catholic edition in the Gospels are exactly the same. Yep. So I think my question is, did you have to buy new Bibles? 
Uh, well, yeah, that's actually that's actually a very interesting question because there are some deuterocanonical books that were in the Bible for ever and ever and ever until the Reformation, and then those books magically disappeared. And right. what I w- I say magically that was kind of tongue in cheek. Um, yes, yes, yes. Be, <laughs> maybe a bit snarky. Martin but, Luther made them disappear, but yeah, yes, okay, yes, okay. that's right. A knife and a man made those things disappear pretty quickly. Yeah. But but what I will say, and and I'll say this too, like. I mean, I haven't read through all those books still to this day. Like some of those books, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't know. I have enough with like the Protestant Bible, much less the Catholic Bible, you know, to like keep up with. So I haven't read all those books yet. Um, yeah. But I will also say there's some real beauty in those books that that was missing. So, um, and this is a little bit of an aside, but it kind of relates to our story a little bit. Like go read the book of Judith. The book of Judith is a story about a woman who uses her power as a woman to behead the powers of the world. It is a beautiful story. And the fact that that story is missing from, you know, the Bible that I didn't have before, it carves out a big piece of feminist literature that existed for a very important reason within the scriptures. Um, So did we have to go buy new Bibles? No, we did not. Did we choose to go... by new Bibles, because there are pieces of literature like this that that have gone missing and that are important. Yeah, yeah, we did, and I yeah. and I think those stories are important to read. Last year, when I listened to Father Mike read the Bible, he read those books as well, and I remember so clearly walking on the beach, summer of 2021, and just sobbing listening to Tobit. And yeah. I had never heard that story at all. But here's this man and woman who have decided to get married and all her other husbands have died. So the father-in-law is digging a grave for this man while he, you know, I mean, it just, I was sobbing, I was sobbing. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. Amber, how much healing came from writing this and from this new experience? I mean, your new found faith in the Catholic Church. Like, I'm going to ask a question that's a dumb question. Are you healed? Are you healed from it? Um, <laughs> I don't know if I know the answer. I don't. Are we are we ever all the way healed? Right. You know, it's a wound. I don't know that I'll ever not feel that wound. Yes. But can I move forward? Do I have forgiveness and mended, different, but mended relationships? Yes. And that's really beautiful. So, yeah, I mean, Jesus still had his wounds, so I don't know why we would think we wouldn't. You know, my business coach said today, not every problem is solvable. And I felt that is like a sermon, actually, because the places that I have felt wounded by people in my church, my church now, my church 10 years ago, my church, whenever I want Mm -hmm. to do the right things to heal those wounds. Mm -hmm. And then you still see the person on Instagram and it makes you cry. And you go, oh, man, I thought I was healed, but not all problems are solvable. No, no. Yeah, There are some things that we can do in the book. I say in spite, just out of sheer spite. Yeah. We feast and it's not a feast if you're always feasting, but yes, yes. you have to know when it's time to make a big sloppy plate of the most delicious food and say, there is good here on my plate and I'm going to eat it up with people that I love and not everything is right. And we're not with our loved ones yet in glory, you know, but we're going to feast here. And so we have a lot to celebrate and a lot to, um, a lot of like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like a, a covert spy like we have a lot of like underground like awesome work to do with one another in the realm of hope yeah as believers catholic protestant whatever 
we have work to do together to live out that hope. And Mm -hmm. I think the people who are who have often experienced the most pain are the ones leading the way in that. The ones who are really leading the way in that. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I just looked up the text I sent y'all the day I finished reading the book and I literally said, you may not want it or need it, but I wrote up an endorsement. (laughs) I didn't even ask your permission. In fact, I did not. That's the kind of terrible friend I am. I did not even ask your permission, but Seth, as this book goes into hands this week, I mean, this is like a very typical question and I'm sorry to ask it, but I genuinely am curious and I try to chase my curiosity here. As this book goes into hands this week, what are you hoping happens? You know, there was a time in my life, particularly as a writer, where I was like, man, I hope this book hits the New York Times bestseller list. Um, I literally don't care about that anymore. I think we're at the place, I'm at the place where my hope is that it finds its the right reader. It finds the person that it was meant for. Um, If that's uh, 10 people, that's fantastic. The publisher doesn't want to hear that, but that's fantastic. If it's 10,000 people, that's great. Um, I've also wrestled a lot with like, what would happen if this book is only read by Catholics? Uh, Or what would happen if this book is shunned by Catholics and only read by Catholic curious Protestants? And anytime I start to start wrestling with those issues of market and audience and whatever, I think I just keep coming back to like, the book is going to do what it's going to do. And my hope is that everyone who's listening, if you're prompted to go read the book, go read the book. Um, It's not for everybody, but it's for a lot of people. And so I think my, my ultimate hope is just that it ends up in the right hands. Yeah. Amber, do you have different hopes, same hopes? When I wrote my first book, Wild in the Hollow, a lot of people responded that my story wasn't their story, but it was mm-hmm. <laughs> all at the same time. And I actually think that that's what I hope is that even if you haven't experienced, you know, emotional and spiritual abuse in a church, that if you have lived through a season of grief, or if you have someone in your life that you love a lot, that you don't know how to pull out, that the, there's actually work for us to do together. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that comes through clearly in the book. Yeah, I. Um, your story is not my story. And it is. And mm-hmm. I'm Protestant. I'm not going to be Catholic. And I find your story so inspiring to my faith. And so it just feels like such an important read. It, even if people just read it for understanding, even if it doesn't change you, it's such a good thing to read to understand someone else's story. And the two perspectives y'all wrote from were really beautiful. Yeah, and Andy, to, just to build off of, of what I said, what Amber said, what you said, like my ultimate hope is that somebody who is 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 like right now saying, I think I'm I think I'm done. I think I'm leaving. Like read for understanding, read and ask yourself like do I need to be done? Is there somewhere I can stay? Can I stick this out? Like is it important that I stick this out? Yeah. And if it's important that yeah. I stick it out, do I need to go somewhere else to stick it out? Like my faith? Like yeah. Yeah. read to ask yourself like is deconstruction all the way past the bones really where you want to be? Or is there still hope in the faith that, that you held close and hold close? Yeah, that's beautiful. I can't wait for people to get this this week and to hear more of your story and to connect in the ways they connect. Everybody can connect in a way or another. And we're going to do the leftiest left turn here because I am not hanging up with you until you both answer the question. That we always finish with. So Seth and Amber, each of you, because the show is called That Sounds Fun, besides deconstructing and becoming a Catholic, tell me what sounds fun to you. (laughs) What sounds really fun to me is, uh, can I just make it up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whatever sounds fun to you. Like a dream scenario. What sounds fun to me is you getting on a plane, flying to Fayetteville, Arkansas, and joining Amber and I at Orthodox Brewery, which is a little slice of paradise on earth, 
and I know like the sober guy saying come visit us for uh, Orthodox Brewery is kind of weird but I'm saying like that sounds fun to me to come and share uh, a little bit of a feast, a little bit of space yes. with you in a beautiful area that's uh, Return to the Ozark sort of place. Oh, I would love it. Can we do that? I want to I want to come on when the um, farmer's market is going. So every Thursday, that's my fun thing. Every Thursday, yes. we live kind of down the hill from Fayetteville in a place called Goshen. And I have helped with an awesome group of women start a farmer's market down there and it is people come out of the hills we have amazing vendors and it's just flowers and vegetables and it's in a field next to a community building that is like falling apart and where people remembered going to 4-H there in the 1950s and it is just home to people and people come to our market and then as soon as market's over people pack up and they drive to orthodox farmhouse brewery and that's yeah. how we spend our Thursday evenings. So it, we have gotta, our own little gotta, cheers. Put me on in the, the schedule. Put me on a Thursday schedule in 2024. Absolutely, I've yes, got to come please. do one. I would love it. Thank y'all for making time for this and for writing this book. I just it is it cost you to write this book, and so thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Oh, you guys, aren't they awesome? I know. I am so thankful for them for their journey, for the way they talk about it honestly and. Man, the book made me laugh and it made me cry. It was just really, I, I did the, they tell you to draw a timeline of some certain things that grab the book and so you can do it, but make sure you get your copy of the deep down things right now. Follow them on social media. Tell them thanks for being on the show and, and get to reading so you can draw that timeline. It, it really helped me a lot. I took it to my next counseling appointment after I did it. So if you need anything else from me, y'all know I'm embarrassingly easy to find on this Wednesday. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And don't forget, you can find the That Sounds Fun podcast with a lot of interesting bonusy things over at That Sounds Fun podcast on Instagram. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home. Do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me is seeing that musical MJ, you guys. I'm getting to see MJ today, that Wednesday matinee. I love it. Y'all have a great day. We will see you back here tomorrow as we continue our Build Your Board series with two of my favorite pastors, Micah and Shereen Eldridge. And we are talking about a practice that has really changed my life, building a prayer team. So y'all come back and join us tomorrow as we talk about how and why and who needs a prayer team. <laughs>